It's good to see new people, new friends, and old friends here today. We're very glad that you are here. Thank you for coming. God bless you. No one ever says you're welcome. If I say thank you for coming, you say, oh, you're welcome. Yeah, I mean you. Thanks for being here. It's so good to see you. And uh, if, you're, if you're a guest, we hope that uh, God is blessing you so far. Uh, if you don't know who I am, my name is Mike Schroeder, and my wife and I pastor this church. And uh, we are right in the middle of a series. The series that we're in the middle of is called Awkward Moments. There's a lot of awkward moments in the Bible, and a lot of these awkward moments are places and times where the scriptural teaching will confront our comfort zones. And today is uh, an especially awkward moment in the scriptures, and I, uh, I'm really looking forward to this in spite of the fact that, first of all, it's really awkward. Second of all, I have a seminar, like a four-day seminar worth of material here. We have to try to uh, figure out what to say in the, the course of, you know, an hour and a half. No, just kidding. 25 minutes or so, 35 minutes. Uh, and and it's, it's, it's something that is so important in our culture, in the 21st century North American culture, in the church, as well as outside in the community. So I can't wait. I can't wait to, to see how this is going to all come out. And I just think we should put our seatbelts on, literally, or uh, figuratively, I should say, and, and just believe that God is going to speak to us. This is for all of us, this teaching, and uh, so I, I just want to encourage you with that. So we're talking about these awkward moments, and if you can just go to slide number two, there it is. Uh, Harvest was two weeks ago. We, we, we were talking about that awkward time where Jesus was speaking to the woman at the well and his disciples, they, they couldn't figure out why he was talking to her and she was talking to him and what do you want with us? And, and one thing led to another and many, many, many people from that town of Sychar in Samaria came to know Jesus, came to believe in God, came to faith all because Jesus was willing to do something that might be considered awkward and he spoke to a person about their personal faith, and uh, the result was great. Last week, we talked about the bread of life and how Jesus said to us, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't have any eternal life in you. That's a rather awkward statement. In fact, when he did that, when he said that, many of his disciples left him. They just said, this is crazy. I'm not, I'm I'm out. (laughs) This is not going the way I was hoping. Anyways, that's, uh, that's last week, and of course, those messages are online, and um, if I may uh, encourage you to listen to those online, go, feel free to do that. But today, I want to speak to you from the, uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount, and my hope and my prayer is that you'll be filled with hope today, that God will give you new hope, that you will have helpful insights and uh, that there will be some practical steps that you can take in your Christian life. So even though it's maybe going to get awkward in here, I just want to encourage you that this is a time for, uh, for hope. This is a time for us to have new insight and to figure out how to move forward. All right? So there we go. So the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, uh, he saw the, the, the crowds gathering, and he went up on the mountainside, and, and he sat down. And his disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. 
And uh, there was a, the Sermon on the Mount is very well known in the Sermon on the Mount is all the Beatitudes that you may remember what those are. You know, happy are those who, are, are, who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled, and the, the meek, and so forth, those who suffer for their faith. The, uh, the Lord's Prayer, Jesus spoke that on the, on the mountainside as well, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, he said something about the Old Testament Scripture. He said, don't think that I came to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. And it was quite a, quite a statement. But one of the things, and, and this is uh, just the uh, a little bit extra, all for the same low price. Uh, this isn't the main message, but there was a message in there that I wanted to highlight, and that is the matter of reconciliation. And this is awkward. Um, did I say it was awkward? Uh, in verse 23, Jesus, he, he was talking about people doing their religious service. Now, when we do sacrifices, we do the sacrifice of praise, right? We bring a sacrifice of praise to God's house, and that's the fruit of our lips, giving thanks unto his name. But Jesus said, uh, he said, if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, and then come and offer your sacrifice to God. And so we're in the middle of singing, you know, ah, we lay down at the feet of, well, I can't remember the verse or the words to that song we just sang. But we're in the middle, and, and all of a sudden I think, oh my goodness, I said that to Evan. She was mad at me. So now what do I, I'm supposed to, stop doing what I was doing and go to her and make it right and then go for lunch. No, then come back and continue and then come and offer your sacrifice to God. We're good, right? Okay, thanks. But I want to tell you from experience what will break and and will just tear down and, and just demolish any attempt at reconciliation, okay? It's kind of a negative, but it's you can turn it into a positive. Now, by the way, if you have a bulletin with you, this is a good place to start writing because this, this is really going to be helpful, especially to us guys, just saying. But women can learn this too, just saying. If I have a sense of entitlement, you know, like let's say I offended someone, and this happened to me, and I, I don't want to tell the whole story, but... There was, there was a time when I, I just felt so entitled. I delayed. I mean, I experienced this. I knew I was supposed to leave my gift at the altar, but I just felt so justified in what I did, even though the other person I knew was offended. I just knew I did the right thing. I said the truth. and You know, I spoke the truth, and it's his problem, not mine, and blah, blah, blah. It wasn't Ev. It was someone else, not even in this room. Anyways, the, uh, the point is I felt I felt like I had the right to say what I had said and I felt entitled. So if I had that feeling and went and apologized, how do you think that would go? Not good. Not good. If I had been offended myself and I had reacted to that offense and said something back in retaliation and actually I didn't start it, and my, maybe my fault was like 30% of the issue and that other person's fault was 70% of the issue. If I go and just try to make peace and say, listen, I'm, I'm sorry, 
but I have yet to forgive that person for their offense to me, that is not going to work. My apology will just go up against some glass ceiling. I need to forgive that person before I try to make it right. Even if I'm trying to make it right for the stuff I did, if I have unforgiveness in my heart, it's not going to work well. And uh, if, I, if I, again, what I just did was minimize, okay, I felt mine was 30 and his was 70, and he probably figures, well, it's, it's more like 60 you and 40 me. <laughs> and we're minimizing our part in it. And we're fi- fi- figuring out that, you know, I've been so hurt, I've been so wounded, and I didn't deserve that, and maybe true. But if I, again, if I just say, well, listen, I was hurt, and I was, I was feeling hot and, and, and bothered, and I, I said something I shouldn't have said, listen, I can't minimize that. The effect, the unexpected effect of my words or my actions unanticipated, undesired, but the effect is still there. I can't minimize that. Oh, well, they should just get over it. Well, maybe they should, but they're not. I can't minimize my responsibility. And then go, okay, well, you know, come on, smarten up. Listen, I'm sorry, smarten up. That'll, that'll work. Not. If that person, you know, they're, <laughs> they're just such an idiot. I got to go. I mean, look at, you know. I got to go and try to make this right, you know. They're just, they can't, they can't handle it, you know. Sorry, again, I can try to make it right, but somehow something's, that, that attitude is, is just going to hinder, it's going to hinder the things. These things, if these things are in your heart, your apology will not be, uh, not be received. So the first thing you do is not go and take your role and re- be responsible for your stuff and go and, and make it right. The first thing to do is figure out, okay, what, what's going on in my heart? I need to forgive that person. Well, they're unforgivable. No, they're not. That judgment has to go in Jesus' name. I need to be willing to forgive, freely forgive, and release it. And, uh, you know, we have this little program that only takes a whole year. It's called Freedom Session. And a lot of this stuff is, is that, you know, it'll help you to, to go through this. Uh, uh, yeah, so uh, Jesus said, if, if, you're, if you're doing your Christian duty and you're doing your personal devotions every day and you're tithing and you're going to church and everything's going good and you realize, wait a second, someone's got something against me. He said, stop. Oh, we missed you in church last Sunday. What were you doing? Oh, man, I, you should have seen. I really blew it. I had to, I had to take someone out for coffee and make it right. <laughs> I couldn't go to church until I did that. That's awkward. But it's, it's something that Jesus does expect that we... Now, if next week, you know, it's all empty in here, I'll figure it out, okay? <laughs> but uh, on the other hand, it is Super Bowl Sunday, so I'm not sure... <laughs> Don't start making excuses now. It's really going to be awkward. Okay. Super Bowl isn't until the afternoon. What time, is the, what time does the game start, Doug? Three o'clock? Something like that? Yeah. So you can come to church. You can give God his blessing first. Jesus said, me first. All right. Yeah. Anyways, uh, today's message, I mean, we haven't even started yet. Today's, that was a long introduction. But today's message is actually about purity. 
And that'll empty the church. That'll, that'll quiet you down. But Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, uh, and, you know, I, I want, I tell you what, that, that graphic, it's not really a good graphic, but all the graphics that really spoke about what this message is, I couldn't put them up there. So <laughs> this is about what you're seeing and what you're looking at. And here it is in, uh, in verse 27, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 27. He says, you've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. I just thought I'd stop for a moment, let you think about that. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust, which means to have a desire for or long for, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's what Jesus said about adultery and about purity. Now, one of the things that you may have noticed that I like to do when I'm speaking and reading the scriptures, I do use a version called New Living Translation. And when it says something to men, generally in the Bible, it's for women and men. And we include that. All the blessings to men in the Bible are basically allowed for women as well. Isn't that right? Amen, Pastor Mike. Hallelujah. And this message is for women as well as men. And um, I, I want to ask you all, including myself, how does the temptation to lust express itself in your inner That's pretty awkward. Thank you. This is, this, is, this is what this message is about. And it's going to get worse, but it's going to get better too. So the question, and if you want to write it down, fine, but I, want you to, I really want you to think about this. How does the temptation to lust find its expression in your heart? Now, of course, one of the ways that uh, it happens for men especially, not only men, but Probably more often for men. Men, it's the visual thing. And so, you know, a, a woman who's dressing a certain way that's attracting attention in a sensual manner uh, for whatever her, you know, whatever her motives are, that's, there's never a justification for men to act out on these things. But for a man to look at another woman and, and you know, you, you look and, you, and then you look somewhere else. Guys, okay. You might look again because, you know, it's a temptation. But then, you know, avert your attention. Look at her eyes or, you know, look at the trees or whatever. Okay, seriously. I found myself doing that the other day. There was, there was a woman and, you know, she, you know, anyway, it just wasn't appropriate. And so I, had, I literally had to look somewhere else. And that's what you do. It's nothing, there's nothing, there's no sin, there's no sin in temptation. Jesus was tempted. Now, this is awkward. Jesus is tempted in every way. So what is it in our world? For guys, it, it could be a woman walking by or thank, thank the Lord for the wintertime. Women have more clothes on. That's really great. I said it in a funny way, but man, I'm dead serious. Uh, pornography, it's interesting. 
I, I don't, frankly, don't know too much about how a woman sees and views pornography. And if there is, I, I understand there is pornography that's actually made for women. And there are storybooks that I think that what I, the research I've done, and it hasn't been a great deal, but because uh, enough's enough. But I, apparently, it's the relationships, it's the stories, it's the, uh, it's the romance novels, it's the things that, that create this environment where there's this wonderful guy and wouldn't it be nice to have that wonderful guy and then all the, okay, so um, that's enough for that. But, you know, so, so me, for men, pornography is, a, you know, it's a billion, one of the biggest businesses in the whole world. Uh, men looking at women to lust after them. And, of course, that person in the video or that person uh, in, in the in the magazine or wherever it is online, someone's daughter, somebody's son, somebody's sister, somebody's brother, somebody's niece or nephew, somebody's spouse. In Timothy, it says to treat older women as you would your mother and treat younger women with all purity, as you would your own sister. It's First Timothy 5 and verse 2. There's the issue of, you know, whose sister, whose daughter is this that you're looking at that way? And then there's the whole issue of, especially in the porn industry and the uh, 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 human traffic, it it's a matter of human trafficking. Most of the industry is uh, part of the human trafficking. Those women, they look like they are wanting to do the things they're doing, but frankly, they're being forced and coerced into doing those things. And it also becomes an an addiction issue. And, uh, you know, a lot of times people will say, well, I can stop anytime I want. And they, you say, well, okay, go ahead and stop. And they say, I don't want to. But there's an addiction involved here. And, you know, the Bible says that uh, in, in Romans, it's in chapter 6, it says, when you yield yourself to obey certain things, it's not long and you become a slave to sin. And um, these, this whole area of, of pornography is rampant in our, in our culture and in the church as well. And, uh, again, I, I want to ask you as women... How does this apply to you in your life? Those stories that you're reading, what about the emotional affairs? You may not be attracted to that guy's body, but what about his sensitivity or his, you know, gentle strength? Or what about the way he, you know, his money? Or whatever it is that that you might find attractive. You know, it's not about, it's not about being, uh, you know, just one way or one-sided. And God wants us to walk in purity. Jesus was serious about this, and we're going to get into that in a little bit here. And, of course, there's such a thing as physical affairs as well, and, and you know, God forbid that would happen. I actually read a statistic coming back to this issue, of, and, and I just read it this week. I, I don't think about these things that often. There's enough issues, enough problems with guys and porn, but apparently... 90% of women deal with this. And I don't know if, if it's everybody, you know, if we've got the 10% here. I, I, don't under, I don't know. 
But I think as, as God's people, Jesus is saying, look, this, this is wrong. And we can't just stop there and say, okay, it's wrong, and, and then just say, okay, well, let's all go home now. But I want to talk to you further about temptation. And uh, I believe that there's hope for us in this area of our lives, for our, our loved ones that may be caught up in this addiction or people that we know, and whether it's this addiction of, of porn or sensuality or lust or whether it's a different, a, a different temptation altogether, there's all kinds of issues and addictions that are out there and besetting sins, things that we deal with. And sometimes it's just hard. We deal with, we deal with unbelief, with fear, all kinds of things that we deal with. And I want to talk to you a little bit about temptation and how to face it and how to deal with it. It's right from the very beginning of history, right? Temptation. In the Garden of Eden, Eve and Adam. We always say Adam and Eve, but I think I'll say Eve. Sorry, was that a judgment? Yes. Uh, but, but Eve, there was, there was a thing that happened with Eve, and she, it says in, the, it says in, in uh, if I can go to the next slide, please. It, if, it says in Genesis that Eve saw the fruit. She saw the fruit, and, that it, that it, that it was, and then she saw that it was good. Sorry, I can't find it in my notes. Uh, it was ple- good for food. It was pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom. And those three different sort of categories of what, it, what happens in a temptation is she, she saw that it was good for food. It would satisfy something in her flesh. And in the, the book of 1 John, we see that all that's in the world, the Bible says in 1 John, Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And so we, we have the lust of the flesh. She saw that it was good for food. The lust of the eyes, it, it was good looking. And, and the pride of life, you know, I can, I can feel like a somebody. I can feel good about these, you know, it, it, it hits all of these different areas in our life. And this whole area of temptation, God's word has answers for us. But we can't minimize it, and we can't just hope it will go away because it won't. This is a spiritual battle for our souls and for the souls of our friends and loved ones and kids and you know people in our life. God wants us to be free from these things. And there is freedom for, for us in Jesus Christ. Uh, I don't have any slides for this, and so if you want to jot these things down on a piece of paper or on the bulletin, whatever, that's fine. But first of all, we have to understand that Jesus understands us, right? In Hebrews 4, it says that Jesus was tempted in every way. Every way he was tempted. He was tempted to unbelief. He was tempted sexually. He was tempted about money. He was tempted about power. These were real temptations that he faced. But the difference between me and Jesus is that he never gave in to it. But he does understand what it's like to be truly tempted. And sometimes we think that he was like this Teflon guy. And in a way, he was because he, he was free in his own heart. But it did, it did tempt him. Like he was literally tempted by these things. In the, in our, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus, when he taught us to pray, 
Okay, this is one of the things. And, and frankly, sometimes, uh, you know, people, when they're caught up in all of this stuff, they don't actually pray about it anymore. They've given up, given up hope. But Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, please do not lead me into temptation. Do not lead us into temptation. Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, that's the, that's the Lord's Prayer. That's how we're supposed to pray. And we're meant to pray about temptation. And not just uh, walk toward the temptation, praying that God will help us. God, <laughs> you know, that, that's, not, that's not necessarily that going to be that effective. So this, the second thing that we need to do with temptation, we need to pray. First, understand that Jesus understands. And pray, and we need to trust that God will t- show us a way of escape, because that's the promise. You know, first of all, you need to know that temptation is normal. There's no temptation, you know, that we face that is uncommon to people. Right? It's, no, it's normal to be tempted. But there's always a way. God will show you a way out. And we need to take that way out. Amen. So pray, trust in God, have faith. And here's where we really get, in, you know, get, get activated. A lot of times what happens is people don't, think about what the Bible says about their particular temptation and their situation. They just think, oh, I'm weak, and this is really hard, and I'm really trying, and I, you try and try and try and try, then you fall. You try and try and try and try, and then you fall. But we, we need to do is look at what does the Word of God say about that. And the Bible says that is like our shield of faith, and with the shield of faith, with God's Word, we can extinguish all of the fiery darts of the enemy, all of those ideas that the enemy would look at her, look at him, look at that money, look at this, look at that, and the temptations come, and that voice from outside of us, and we start thinking that we thought of this, and we didn't. It was the enemy throwing these firebombs at us of temptation, and we need to use the Word of God. I'm a new creation in Christ. You know, I don't need this. I don't need that for my well-being. God is my source. I'm going to, you know, I, I'm you know, whatever it is that is in the Word of God that's going to help you with the temptation, that, uh, you know, fight the temptation, that's what we do. And the Bible says in Ephesians 6.16, you can extinguish all the, all, all the flaming darts of the enemy. But we, if we enjoy the flaming darts and kind of it's like walking toward the light or something, and, you know, if we're not in that warrior mode... <laughs> We're going we're gonna to lose because the devil's no threat to Jesus, but he's bigger than you and me. But we need to use our shield of faith and identify with Christ, and then we will have victory and not the other way. Avert your eyes from temptation. Don't follow after it. Don't look at it. And the other thing is don't. Uh, you have to position yourself to win. Now, one of the things that, uh, that the Bible actually says, and it, it doesn't sound very warrior-like, but the Bible says literally, run away from temptation. And you know, if, if you find yourself 
emotionally becoming attached to a person. It feels so good. But you can't be emotionally attached to a person and then not be emotionally attached to that person. I know that is really weird what I just said. But what we like to think is, well, I'm fine. It's not a problem. It's, not, it's, it's, it's just good. We're just friends. Right. And then, God, I, will you help me? I'm starting to have these thoughts and these feelings about that person. I know they're not right. And then we still meet with that person. But we're not positioning ourselves for victory. We're, we're setting ourselves up. It's a setup. It's like when kids are in the back seat of an automobile, a teenager's all hot and heavy, and then they pray for, pray for strength or something. Get out of the car. That's what you do. Run away from temptation. It's bigger than me. Has it gotten awkward yet? I'm sure awkward. <laughs> I want to talk about shame, though. In, in, uh, if you go to the, the next slide, the next, yeah, that one. They suddenly felt shame. That's uh, in the Garden of Eden. You know, shame is so insidious in the church. Now, there's shame that's actually, like shame is an emotion that God made. And we don't rejoice in it necessarily, but shame, shame is an emotion that God made. But what it is, it's, it's a reflection of undealt with sin. Shame isn't good unless it's pointing us to the Savior, pointing us to the forgiver, to the emotional and spiritual healer, Jesus, and get healing and deal with our sin. If I have a problem, let's say I have a problem with smoking. Well, it's not. God will say, fine, good luck with that. But if there's a sin involved in smoking, I should never have used that illustration. But I want to try to do one that's more innocuous. (laughs) Anyways, if if, if I've got a problem with lust... You know, good luck. But if I have a sinful propensity to get involved with lustful activities, then God can help me because he died on the cross to save me from my sin. But my problems, my human weakness, maybe not so much. But if it's a sin, let's, let's call it what it really is and then deal with it. Then we can find freedom. But if we're in denial, that shame thing, It'll, it'll, just, it'll just paralyze us. It will paralyze us emotionally and spiritually. And if instead of dealing with my sin, if I just stuff those feelings of guilt, whether I feel the shame or not, I have shame. Shame is not a good motivator. And uh, what we need to, to do is bring our, bring our sins to the cross. And find grace to help in time of need. There is hope for us unless we keep it in the dark. That's when it will immobilize us. Do you still love me? Don't worry, it gets worse. Wait, there's more. Back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 29. 
I call this extraordinary, extraordinary measures. <laughs> this is Jesus talking. If you have a red print Bible, you know what color it is. So, Jesus said, if your eye, even it's in the Greek, it's your right eye, and uh, even your good eye causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. Now, that's awkward. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. I don't know how to say that any stronger or any better. Then he goes on to say, if your hand, even your right hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. What are we willing to do to find freedom? I want to maintain my comfort. I want to maintain my position and the, what do you call it? The, the, not facade, but maybe it's a facade. You know, the identity that I've projected, I want to maintain all of that and still have freedom. Maybe it's not going to work out for me that way. What am I willing to do? What are we willing to do to find freedom? Is freedom worth me gouging out one of my eyes? Please don't do that this week. You need a doctor's note and a pastor's four weeks of intense counseling before you do that, okay? What are we willing to do? Are we willing to go to God and say, Lord, I have sinned? It's not my mother's fault. It's not that coach's fault. It's not that uncle's fault. It's nobody's fault but mine. I've sinned. Against you, God. It's not a problem. It's a sin. Well, the promise is if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But we like to just be, oh, I'm trying to deal with this. Good luck. Let God deal with it. But that's how we deal with it. We bring it to God. Are, Are we able to find a trusted friend in the body of Christ and go and confess my sin to that person? So that person will pray with me and, 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 and counsel me and, and confront me and, and, and sh- give me support and accountability. And there I can find healing, like it says in James. Am I willing to talk to somebody about this? Am I willing to take the time to study the Scriptures, like for maybe like the 300 Scriptures that talk about fearing the Lord in the Bible? Am I willing to find out what does the Bible really say about this? What does God think of adultery? How has he experienced adultery? And even it's even another word. Jesus didn't use it, but it is in other places in the Scripture. It's actually idolatry, finding identity, comfort, whatever it is you find, whatever makes that so attractive, that's idolatry because God wants us to be comforted and and, and, and blessed and, and loved and, and, and received by His Spirit. He wants to be the lover of our soul, not whatever's out there. Man, i got to stop getting in my face here. What am I willing to change? To walk in the fear of the Lord. 
you know, if it feels good, do it, right? That's what has been out there in the world. Our feelings really matter, but they're really not a good GPS. They're a gauge. They, they measure things. Our feelings point to things, but not a good thing to follow. Not a good thing to follow. Follow the Word. Follow the Lord. Follow Jesus. Deal with your feelings. Your feelings are like, you know, I, I feel this way, I feel that way, and it's like getting a, you know, I've said this too many times, but it's like getting a thermometer, putting it in your mouth, and it says, what does it say in English? It's 102. What's that, what's that in today's, sorry? 37, thank you. It might say 102 to me because I got a fine Fahrenheit thermometer. <laughs> anyway, and if I if I shake the thermometer, that's not fixing the problem. My the the emotions matter, but they are not our guide. They are not the things that that lead us. All right, what are the, what are they really saying to us? So one more little thing, just that Jesus just threw it in at the end of the chapter. Matthew 5.48, I don't think I have a slide for that either. It says, oh, but you are to be perfect because your Father in heaven is perfect. Wow. (laughs) Okay, I'll get right on it. (laughs) Perfect in this sense doesn't mean totally flawless. It actually means mature and complete and not lacking. Okay? And so God's provided everything that we need. God has provided everything that we need. And, you know, it's so true that without him I'm nothing and I need God every hour. It's so true that I'm 100% dependent on God. But I'm 100% dependent on God to help me do the right thing. It's not like, well, I can just, you know, sit in my, sit in my uh, lazy boy and let God do it all because I can't do it. That's not quite the right approach to successful Christian living. But rather, again, God will provide all the strength that we need to do the right thing. God will help you. I hope this message has helped you. I didn't want to preach this message and have you walk away feeling defeated, because Jesus will help us. But we must, we must cooperate. Thank you. Ev likes it when I cooperate. All right. I'm just sorry. I, I, I'm done. I'm done. Let's stand. Can we do that, please? Well, I'm glad that's over. <laughs> the battle is real. The battle is real. There's a book that was published many years ago. It says, Every Man's Battle. And I've read that book. I have not read the one that someone else wrote. It's called Every Woman's Battle. But maybe we should read those books. Or we could just read Matthew chapter 5, but it's only three or four verses long in that part. Let's pray. I'm going to ask God to help. To help me, to help you. And Lord, thank you. That in you there's forgiveness. In you there is cleansing. If we walk in the light as you are in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all things, all sin. Thank you, Lord, that there's hope for us. 
Many times we felt defeated. Many times we've been bound up with shame. Lord, would you come? Forgive our sins and heal us. Lord, come and heal us. And let us find grace. Let us find grace at the foot of your cross, Lord, to walk in freedom, to walk in righteousness, to walk in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. Lord, because when a person's life pleases you, you're looking for people like that whose hearts are totally for you. You're looking all over the world for people like that, and you'll be looking for us. We'll find you because you'll be looking for us. Thank you, Lord. And God, I just pray, uh, Lord, we don't receive, we don't receive condemnation. There's no sin in temptation. Temptation is not a sin. God, help us to realize that, to take heart, to take take courage, to take be strong and take courage, and deal with life with our eyes wide open here. We thank you. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I love you. And even better news, God loves you. If you'd like prayer, come on up. Someone will pray with you. Thank you so much for being here today.